0: This is the Mormon Mixed Faith Marriage Podcast with Certified Life Coach Brooke Booth, episode number 94. So, I've got another podcast for you today on communication. This is a topic that I think really merits a lot of time and repeat conversations. I'm outside again, so I apologize for any noise in the background still got contractors working in my house. They're just a little too noisy. So if you hear low background noises, enjoy the sounds of my neighborhood. Okay. Years ago, I saw this quote by George Bernard Shaw, and it has stuck with me ever since. And it's a quote on communication. And it says, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I really want to dig into this idea in this podcast today. And talk about it, of course, in the context of a mixed faith marriage. So I'm gonna read the quote again. So I want you to like hear it and think about it. Mm, let's dive into it. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Now, when I first heard this quote, I was like, yeah. Wait, what? Hmm. What? Like, it just took me a minute to really digest it. So take all the time you need to digest it. Okay, this is the illusion that communication has taken place. So I've spoken before that it's not unusual for those of us who are raised LDS to be a little conflict avoidant, or I call it conflict intolerant. And that tendency can create an environment where it's easy for us to form patterns of communication that drive communication underground. And what I mean by underground is like it drives it into like the nonverbal realm. It drives it into subtext and not an actual verbal direct communication. And when a lot of communication is done in a nonverbal way, a lot of times that's where the illusion that it has taken place is really starting to happen. So when communication is done in this assumption way or this subtext, there's an illusion it's taken place. But it can also be common but harmful. It can be harm, excuse me, It can be harmful because when we think communication has taken place and it has not, we open the door wide to hurt and frustration. And of course, hurt and frustration tends to lead to disconnection. So, you know, I thought we had decided on tithing. Why are we doing that when we decided on this? Uh, He doesn't listen to me, so he must not care. Why do we always seem to be at odds? But we had decided not to talk to the kids about this yet. And on and on and on, right? The subtext, the assumption, can lead to hurt, frustration, and disconnection. So let's get really clear on what subtext and assumption are versus actual communication. So you can avoid a lot of hurt. The whole point in talking about this is really to avoid hurt, and frustration, miscommunication. You know, the hurt and frustration that comes from miscommunication. I'll just use some examples from my own relationship and some from my client's. So before we get into the examples, I want you to think about it this way. I suspect, this is my theory, is that 80% of our communication in my marriage, and so in anybody who's sort of raised in this conflict avoidant or conflict intolerant way, the 80% of communication tends to be in this like subtextual assumption way, and 20% Verbal, direct, explicit. And here's how it might look: this subtext versus explicit verbal. I thought we were not going to bribe the kids to stay at home or go to church. The key part here is I thought that, right? That's where there's like obviously some sort of miscommunication. I thought that. I thought that. We had agreed to going to Traverse City and Miami for a couple's trip. Those two, by the way, specific from my relationship. What often happens in this particular type of subtext and assumption is that there's a conversation that's initiated or started. Ideas are put on the table and thrown around and discussed. And then maybe we get interrupted by kids. Or it starts to escalate. And so we put a pause in the conversation Or a phone rings, or we just run out of time. You know, something happens, and the conversation is not finished or tied up in a neat bow. But enough has gone on that it's not its not illogical for somebody to think that maybe there was a decision made, but it wasn't explicit. It wasn't—it wasn't super, super clear. Not written down. You know, not documented. But you know, I thought that can easily be the result. Here's a few other ways that this implied or assumed communication, uh, the subtext communication that can take place. I already know what he's going to say about, you know, fill in the blank, tithing, or coffee, or whatever. Or I already know what she's going to say. There's no way they're going to budge There's no way they're going to think about this differently. I already know what they're going to do. I already know what their response will be. They're just going to be hurt, or they're just going to be mad, or they're just going to put this off, so there's no reason to even bring it up. They never really listen to me, so it doesn't even matter what I say. These are all ways that we basically talk ourselves into keeping the conversation in subtext. And in this nonverbal implied, I already know, you know, what the response is going to be. It keeps everything from actually being discussed in a verbal, clear, direct way. And we do this all the time. You know, like I said, sometimes we just get interrupted and the conversation isn't able to really be completed. And so we just walk out sort of filling in the blanks in our mind, or we never even have the conversation in the first place because why bother? I already know they're not going to listen. I already know what they're going to say and on and on and on. So I want to make some comments about if you find yourself in this where you're 80% subtextual, implied nonverbal, or just filling in the gaps of conversations that already took place is one, this is, this is guesswork. Like your relationship, 80% of your decisions, conversations, whatever are, are just basically a guessing game. You know, I guess what's in my head. I already know my guess is right, but it's a guess. It's a guess. And it's really interesting when you just pause and you look at that and you think, do I want you know, 80% of my conversations and decisions to be based on guesses. Another thing that I tell my clients a lot is, you know, if you're noticing, I thought that is something you you think a lot, or, you know, I thought that we had decided on this, I thought that we came to an agreement, I thought that we had decided... this probably is showing you that there's some of the assumptions or filling in the gaps taking place in your communication. And I always tell my clients, assumptions are not communication. That gets back to that quote, assumptions are just the illusion that communication has taken place. Assumptions are actually guesswork and miscommunication most of the time so really watch those assumptions one of my favorite things to do in a relationship is to like restate oh so the decision we've made is so we've both decided that so moving forward we're going to do this and being very very clear or even better write it down Get it in writing. I know it sounds like advice I would give to a client as an attorney, and it is advice I would give to a client as an attorney, but it's really good relationship advice too. And not to be hard-nosed and get everything in writing with your spouse because you want to like litigate it in a court of law. No, but because it forces you to speak in a more clear, direct way. It forces you to know your preferences and to communicate them in a way that will benefit the relationship it forces you to be more clarifying and to seek clarification from your partner it avoids so many problems down the roads this is why your attorney says get it in writing it's it's not to be a mean partner it's to avoid problems down the road because it forces us to be clear now and figure things out now helps us communicate better now so we can avoid problems in the future. You know, back to, well, I thought we had decided to do this with tithing. I thought we had decided to do this with the kids in church. And it avoids the hurt and the frustration into re-engaging in that conversation over and over and over again, because we had not done this super clarifying restatement or written work around our decisions. The other comment I'm going to give about this subtext and assumption pattern we get in in communication is I know you know your spouse I know you know them really well I know sometimes you can even pretty much read their mind I know because I have a husband too and he sometimes reads my mind and sometimes I know exactly what's going on with him without anything being said I know that and that's still just a guess and sometimes you're wrong about your assumption. And sometimes they change or sometimes they surprise us. A lot of times when we're doing this, like I'm like, do all the guessing work for the fun, silly stuff? Yes, it's super fun to just know each other, to know each other so well we know their favorite dessert or we know their favorite TV show, great. (laughs) like Do that all there, let the assumptions and the nonverbal communication happen there. But when it comes to parenting, Or money or your relationship and super important decisions, let's not rely so much on that nonverbal communication. I know you know them, but let's not like the guess might be wrong, even if you think it's a pretty good informed guess. Let's not take that risk. And here's another reason why is often we judge our spouse based on their past performance based on their past self. So we judge how they're going to act in the future based on their past self. Now, a lot of times this is logical. This is how our brain is wired. But people change and grow and develop. And I say this to some of my clients at times. I'm like, are you holding your spouse hostage to their past self? Maybe they're changing. Maybe they're learning. Maybe they're growing. Would you want to be held hostage by your spouse to your past self and something you did five years ago or 10 years ago? But you've learned from that and you move on and you're no longer that same person. Another reason why I like to take communication out of the subtext and into the explicit verbal. Again, I know you know them, but you're also still getting to know them. It's okay to guess on the small things, but don't guess on the big things. There's too much risk. And especially if they're getting or you're getting like coaching or therapy or in courses or really heavily engaged in self-development, there's a really good chance who they are today is not who they were last year or maybe even last month. Okay, this isn't going to come as a surprise to you, but my piece of advice on this is verbalize more on lots of things. Just verbalize more, even on the easy, low-hanging stuff. Verbalize on who will empty out the dishwasher, who will make the bed, who will drive the kids to practice so that it's easier to verbalize on the important decisions. Like how much you love them and your level of commitment and the family home evening plans and what are you going to do about family scripture study or family prayer or verbalizing the plans around tithing or alcohol. Verbalize more decisions to develop the skill And to bring it where 80% of communication is verbal and 20% is nonverbal. I know there are ways to communicate other than verbal language. I know this. And they're important. They're very important. And I'm not saying to eliminate those or eradicate those. I'm just saying in addition to them, add more verbal communication, especially around the topics that tend to come up in a mixed-faith marriage after a faith transition. Add more verbal communication to those particular things. Kids, tithing, garments, fast offering, temple attendance, extended family, all of these things more verbal communication and let's not fall into the habit of the subtextual the assumption the guesswork because that creates so much tricky area for miscommunication misguessing getting it wrong forgetting all sorts of things a really powerful time in your marriage to practice bringing things into the verbal 80% and leaving 20% in nonverbal because that stuff's fun too. But just watch your percentages and see if, especially around the mixed faith marriage stuff, you can bring it into the more verbal. Okay. This has been something that's so helpful in my own marriage that I really wanted to share it with you. And hopefully you'll get some ideas or some inspiration or some insights into how you can help improve communication in your own mixed faith marriage. If you want a little bit more help, as always, go to my mini course at brookboothcoaching.com. That's Brooke with an E. Grab that mini course and it can help you do some more work on your mixed faith marriage to make it stronger, better, more resilient to deal with what you've got coming as you continue to navigate your mixed faith marriage. All right. Wishing you the best.